Welcome to Dragon Talk! <laughs> oh my god, what a fantastic welcome! It is wonderful to be a siren sound of <laughs> laughter to for all of you here on the official Thunder the Dragons podcast. Hi. Hi. I'm Greg. That's Shelly. We're here to talk about amazing, fun things, including what's happening at D&D Celebration uh, later this month, September 18th, 19th, and 20th. And we have a fantastic guest to talk about one uh, part of that, a uh, Omega Jones, uh, a.k.a. the Critical Bard. Um, He is a wonderful streamer, TRPG enthusiast, and of course, a theater person, a performer, a singer. Yeah, making making his Dragon Talk debut. Exactly, and he is leading a panel uh, about what it means to be a bard at D and D Celebration, which you should all tune in for. Uh, in addition to all the fun streamed games and panels you can watch, uh, there's tons of interactivity going on with D and D Celebration too, so you can play. Dungeons and Dragons uh, in the Icewind Dale rhyme of the Frost Maiden milieu. Mm-hmm. Um, we got lots of places for you to sign up. Tables are going fast, so definitely jump in and sign up to play as soon as possible. We might add some more tables if you know more and more people uh, jump on board that bandwagon at yawningportal.com. But get in there, because when I checked, there were not many seats left. I know, I know. It's amazing. Uh, people love playing Dungeons Dragons together. And what's cool about that is that it's all over the world and everybody can jump in. So yes. where previous conventions you may have known in the past would be you know, uh, relegated to a specific locale, uh, that is no longer the case. You can jump in with all D&D fans across the world playing in Icewind Dale together. At a time that is convenient for you. As well as a platform and perhaps maybe even a language that is convenient yes. to you. Yes. Uh, that's right. We don't have you know every single language out there, but we are adding many dungeon masters who are of the expert variety uh, playing in the language a, a language that you may be more comfortable with in English. So very cool stuff there. Sign up again is at D and D Celebration. Wait, no, twenty twenty. What's yeah? That's it. Listen to Celebration2020.com or just go to dungeonsanddragons.com and there'll be tons of information there. Or just go directly to theyawningportal.com and just get your table. Get it. Guess what I have? What do you have? A table. Oh. A seat at a table. I was just going to say, are you dungeon mastering? Is this your jump into it? Nah. Um, Well, also, this all proceeds for uh, tickets go to Extra Life. Uh, So I wouldn't do that. To people for charity, like even if their donation <laughs> was going to charity, they would still be like, "Give me back my five dollars." I am not doing this. Um, but no, I'm I'm sitting at a table and I'm so excited. I've never played in an epic. I've seen them being played, but I've never gotten to play myself, and I'm just ready. Do That's you think right. I should should I be drunky two shoes? Uh, you should definitely be drunky two shoes. Now I want to I want to join your table as uh, Daryl. Okay. 
maybe we'll find each other. Oh my God! Could it happen at the epic? Could it? Could it? Could it? It could. Um, yeah. So the D and D epic is on Saturday. It's on Saturday. And it is. Uh, you know, might, you may ask, what is a D and D epic? Uh, because it is a little bit different, but it is several different tables playing simultaneously, all with the same meta goals and events happening across all of those tables. And it is planning to be the largest online simultaneous game of Dungeons and Dragons played, you know, ever. Well, I want to be a part of that. Right. Yep. That so, sounds fun. Um, if playing isn't isn't your jam, but you just want to just you know listen to some great people talking about D anD D, there's tons of panels, uh, yeah. including. A panel with Chris Perkins and Jeremy Crawford talking about the uh, latest D and D offerings, like the Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, or Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, which we recently announced. Um, there's also a panel on Sunday with uh, Ray Winnegar and Liz Shu, who are going to be talking to you a little bit about the philosophy behind. Um, Dungeons and Dragons and kind of the th- future thinking and and why decisions get made about what t- types of products that uh, we put out there. So I think that could be a fun one to tune into, plus tons of other ones that are led by some of, of our wonderful community members. And that full schedule is available at DungeonsandDragons.com. Exactly. And it's all it hosted out. by Elle Osili Wood uh, from the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a fantastic host and will be guiding you through each day. And uh, I can't wait to see all the streamed games as well as, uh, you know, perhaps even some uh, folks you may recognize participating as NPCs in that epic we mentioned. So, yes. good stuff all around. Awesome. Can't wait for can't September wait. 18th, 19th, and 20th. Um, and of course, it's meant to celebrate not only the D&D community, but a release of Icewind Dale, Rime of the Frostmaiden, which is on September 15th. You may see a bunch of uh, outlets and press getting copies of that book in their hands. I actually have a copy in a, in a, right here uh, that I've been waiting to, to dive into. Um, and huh. it's chock full of amazingness. Um, we will be speaking uh, over the next few weeks with uh, various designers and freelancers who have worked on uh, what makes Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden uh, a thing. It's going to be cool. But you can get that from your local game store. Uh, there's two covers. One is uh, by Hydro 74 featuring uh, you know, his signature style. Um, you can get that through game stores and everywhere else. You can get it uh, uh, on um, with a wonderful cover painting by Tyler Jacobson. Very beautiful. Quinn's yeah. really excited about that. As you know, Tyler is his favorite artist. Tyler's his bud. It's, yep. He knows he knows how to make things happen. Yep. Very cool. They're beautiful. Both covers are beautiful. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, launching alongside that is a product that has one of the silliest code names we've ever had. Uh, it's called Icy Dicey uh, in all of our things, but it is a Wonderful dice set similar in form to the Avernus set and the Laryl Silverhands Explorers kit that has been released over the last year or so. Um, chock full of uh, you know beautiful looking dice, two dice boxes, felt line that you can roll in, as well as cards with uh, lore and information about the setting uh, within it. Uh, so look for that. I think it come, that comes out a week out after the yep. uh, adventure. 
Um, and then we got some other fun stuff coming uh, in a coffin-shaped box, right? Uh, yes, of course. The Curse of Strahd Revamped, oh, which man. is a beautiful collector's edition um, featuring the very, very popular Curse of Strahd adventure, which is now broken out into three beautiful books for you. But like Greg mentioned, in a coffin-shaped box, along with so many other goodies like a DM screen... Uh, a beautiful Taroka deck that mm. is foil stamped and oversized, and the, those cards are gorgeous. And you can use them to delight your players and inform the path that they go on through the so adventure. Cool. And it also includes a storage box for you to keep them in, so you can bring them with you wherever you go. It's good to have a box. It is good. Yeah. Uh, yes, but that is the box is so delightful, and. It, just imagine how friends and family will be so excited to come into your abode and see a coffin on your bookshelf. You'd be like, yeah. I'm not creepy. I just play Dungeons and Dragons yeah. uh, and pretend to be a vampire, a lord sucking your blood. No big deal. You get beautiful postcards in there as well, too. There's um, four different designs and three of each of those designs, and they're uh, themed with... Um, locations that you will encounter in the adventure and you can use them to invite your friends to come play to barovia Mm -hmm. that is where all of happiness will evaporate (laughs) in my mind barovia is known for their waffles it's true (laughs) it is true Uh, it is a delicious, delicious. It's, it's just, they know how to make uh, baked goods in general, really. Yes, yeah, definitely. Very good yeah. at it. Um, so don't, and then of course, don't leave that adventure without trying the waffles. Oh, yeah. Put lots of, uh, you know, red-colored maple syrup on it. <laughs> Break out the red dye number five. <laughs> put your hands on the ground. Put your hands on the ground. That's a, a Mambo number five reference in case you're wondering. <laughs> Those of you who were not 90s kids may not understand. Honestly, I don't care what it's a reference to. I really just love that. Nice. Well, you know, yeah. it wouldn't be an interview uh, episode with the Critical Bard if I didn't do some singing in the intro, right? And there may be more. I there suspect. may be more to come. Oddly enough, I put on Whitney Houston yesterday, and it like just made everyone in the house start like singing at the top of their lungs. <laughs> was it like I want to dance with somebody, Whitney That's, Houston? Yes, that okay. was the impetus. I don't know why, but uh, Edna, my daughter, was singing uh, "I Want to Dance with Somebody," and it got caught in my head. I'm like, oh yeah, I want to hear that song. So. Um, Bart and I share a Spotify account, so I see mm. all his playlists, oh. and he has one playlist that I think is like songs that he's really is like on the fence about liking, or and then he <laughs> if he decides he likes them, he moves them into other playlists. But I think I saw Whitney Houston on there, and he was like, "What? It's a good song, it's a good and song. it is. Yeah, I want to dance with someone. It that, is. That is a good catchy song. I really like that, especially the little breakdown at the end, which is like, I want to dance with somebody. Oh uh, yeah." Yeah. Don't you want to dance? Don't you want to dance? Yes. That's the one I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Say you want to dance. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, it followed up with like, and I, like, oh. the, the, you know, that just. That is, is like, that is like a be in your car on a long drive, just singing your face off song. Exactly. And it's one of those songs, too, that's like built all around that one moment, I feel like. I feel like yes. the lead up to that is like, nah, like, it's all right. But then it just, when it does that, poof, 
Yeah. I mean, her, her voice just like hits I, that note for I seconds. have goosebumps. I'm not kidding. Like even just thinking about it. Aww. It's true. It's yeah. true. Yeah. Whitney, she moves me. <laughs> <laughs> I did not I did not anticipate that we would be uh doing an entire segment on Whitney Houston songs in this you just, dragon you talk. Don't know. But you really you don't know. know. We we go where the wind takes us and it's the wind true. beneath our wings lifts us up. <laughs> And takes us places. <laughs> we go so many places. It's amazing. Uh, but that is a wonderful fodder for all of you to listen to as you prepare for Tasha's Cauldron of Everything coming in November. I can't wait to jump into all of the the, the Bard Colleges uh, subclasses that are going to be released on that as well as all of the other subclasses uh, and fun stuff for the Dungeon Master in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. I think it's oh, November 17th. Um, is the release date. There's two covers for that as well that are fantabulous. Uh, we'll be talking more about that obviously in the months to come, but uh, you can find out some sneak peeks at D&D Celebration, uh, including uh, being able to potentially play uh, as some of those two subclasses. You don't say. Yes. So we shall see. We Maybe we'll even let you know what those are in future episodes. But I mean, I think future us... I would say, if you heard that, you should go to the website right now because there might be information. There might be. We're in the future. We are very good at time traveling, just like Bill and Ted's Facing the Music, which also made me Oh, yeah, you were also just watching that. Yeah, it gave me goosebumps on that one as well. And then I look over at my my youngest daughter, and she's like full-on tears at the climax. (gasps) And I'm like, oh. Seriously? You are me. Yeah. Did you watch the the one and only Ivan? Uh, No, I haven't yet. Is it good? I cried. I cried for the whole thing. Yeah. Well, you like you like animals a lot more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that inaccurate? No, that's totally true. If those animals were replaced with like kids, I don't know. I would have been like, meh, it's an okay movie. But it was animals and they were talking and they were so cute. They are very cute. Yeah. Um, speaking of cute, we have an amazing Lori Cheneau segment with Chris Perkins. Uh, and, you know, who knows? Milo might actually oh. be joining uh, as well. His he joined cute, us yesterday. Cute dog. Uh, so, yeah, let's, uh, let's give a listen as he lets us know some stuff about uh, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by Mr. Chris Perkins. Hello. Greetings. How are you? Good, good. It's uh, on this day that we're recording this. It's a little smoky outside, but I have no complaints. Well, that's good. Uh, are, you know, And this is a good segue because on this segment where we talk through little bits of lore about Dungeons & Dragons uh, for use in your game or just because it's fun to know, um, some type of burning and or smoke might be of uh, use to the people of Ten Towns. Indeed, yes, yes. Uh, for those who don't know, Ten Towns is a very, very cold place. And even colder now in Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, which is set to be available to everyone on uh, September 15th. Two covers are available, one of which uh, depicts... Um, a very snowy-looking creature, uh, but we'll get to that uh, at another time. But we're going to talk about what is going on in Icewind Dale in the settlements there, uh, which are called the Ten Towns because there are ten settlements, right? Yes, yes. 
there are towns of which there are 10. Um, they're sort of clustered in the center of this realm called Icewind Dale, which is separated from the rest of the northern reaches of the realms by a wall of towering tooth-like mountains known as the spine of the world. So it's a, it's a very, very isolated place. And uh, 10 towns really, I mean, town, some of the towns are a good size, but some of them are really just ramshackle little villages, but they all get the name town and there are 10 of them. They've all got their own names on top of that. And most of them are congregated around three big lakes. Uh, there's one town that is not on a lake shore. And how did they get founded? Why, why, why did people start congregating here uh, in such a desolate place? That's, a, that's an excellent question. Um, and uh, tracing all the way back to early lore, it, the towns emerged kind of naturally um, from very small, humble beginnings. They were mining encampments. They were uh, camps for furriers and, and uh, visiting traders. Uh, they were uh, camps used by mountain climbers and frontiers folk. Um, so they all started off really, really small. But then as the people continued to dwell there, they realized the hostile creatures of this domain and other threats necessitated the building of walls or fortifications or sturdier homesteads. And uh, as, as more frontier folk realize that there's potentially wealth in iron and minerals and gems and gold or whatever uh, to be had up there, the settlements just sort of um, um, blossomed and grew. Uh, the, the largest of the settlements is sort of the, the trade hub for all of 10 towns, and it's called Bryn Shander. It is also the, the place where all the other townsfolk can retreat to if their towns become overwhelmed because Bryn Shander has actually sturdy, thick walls mm. surrounding it and is the most defensible of all the towns. Um, for those who don't know, 10 Towns has been around in D&D since first edition. Uh, they were explored in probably uh, in sort of the first real great detail in a product called Volo's Guide to the North, written by um, the father of the Forgotten Realms, Ed Greenwood, way back when. And it was a small paperback book. Uh, and Icewind Dale was a section in that book. And, but of course, where Icewind Dale and 10 Towns became most prominent uh, was in the Dritz novels by R.A. Salvatore, um, which is sort of tells the tale of this drow who comes up to the surface, finds himself in Ten Towns, and is not welcome there, but nonetheless defends Ten Towners and protects them against a great threat and becomes a legend in that part of the, the realms. Right. And even to this day, and in Icewind Dale, we refer to Dritz de Worden and the memory the Ten Towners have of him and his companions who helped protect them when they needed help most. Nice. I remember in, in previous conversations with, uh, with Bob Salvatore that uh, they just were like, hey, no one's written anything about what's happening in Icewind Dale yet, so go ahead and you know, create your yes. legends. That's exactly why he used it, because very, very little had been written. It was, a, it was a playground for him, and he could pretty much uh, create stuff on the fly, which is, of course, a beautiful thing to be able to do in a shared world. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, a lot of the assumptions that we have about Icewind Dale are 
from the R.A. Salvatore novels. Uh, the yes, and a lot of things, a lot of things that sort of came out of there, like the Crystal Shard itself, which was this sort of crystalline tower of evil um, that resonates in uh, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. You kind of see, or you find little bits of it scattered here, there, and everywhere. Um, and the timeline is different in Rhyme of the Frost Maiden too, right? So that's about a hundred years has passed since the crystal or the events of the Crystal Shard. Uh, yeah, just over, because um, Crystal Shard was set, I think, around the area of like 1369 or thereabouts, and we're in uh, 1492. Okay, so like 120. Or, the, or thereabouts. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, don't, we don't lock Rhyme of the Frost Maiden to a specific year, but it's in basically that time period. So a lot uh, has changed uh, since, since we visited. Uh, what is some of the, some of the, the, the newer developments or, or how would you describe the current state of 10 towns uh, in Icewind Dale now? More isolated than ever. <laughs> um, it has been uh, a long time uh, since the sun has risen above the, the southern peaks and there's something supernatural going on that has sort of plunged Icewind Dale into everlasting night, which, of course, does not bode well for Icewind Dale's future. Um, but uh, people who live there aren't exactly sure what to do. Blizzards have cut off the mountain pass, the sea of moving ice, which is not easy to navigate in the best of times, is, is almost unnavigable now. Uh, the, the great glaciers to the east have these cold, sweeping winds coming down off them. Um, it's become quite unbearable. And so it looks like Iceland Dale might be doomed. Mm. Unless um, something leading, is done. How long ago has that the, the, the extra cold been? We, we actually sort of alluded to it um, with a sentence in uh, Sword Coast Adventures Guide, but it's been a couple of years. Mm. And, I mean, magic has helped. Ten towners, unlike you know people of the real world, do have access to magic. And while magic users aren't everywhere, spellcasters aren't everywhere in Icewind Dale. Uh, it certainly comes in handy to be able to create fire and and do other things to help sort of um, sustain existence in this particularly harsh time. Uh, but adventurers are needed more than ever. Got it. Um, and the you know you mentioned Bryn Shander is like the the capital city uh, or capital town, uh, or at least where they go to get defended. Uh, that's also where like the Ten Towns Council meets too, right? That's correct. Um, there are, each town appoints a leader uh, who's elected to the position, and that leader has the title of town speaker. And whenever something affects uh, the entire um, Icewind Dale or has an impact on all the communities, the speakers convene in Bryn Shander, in, a, in the council hall, uh, to hash it out. Now, these meetings often devolve into petty arguments over things like uh, fishing claims and, you know, territoriality. You know, some, this, this, this town's boats are in our part of the lake. You know, they're taking fish out of our part of the lake. So uh, within 10 towns, uh, there is a, a lot of... Uh, enmity or animosity that's built up among the leaders. Uh, it, it, it sort of vacillates between at times just being friendly competitive to being uh, a, a much more bitter rivalry. They go from enemies to frenemies. Yes. And of course, when times are tough, particularly in long winters that never seem to end, everybody's nerves are on edge and it makes them even pricklier than they would normally be. 
Um, but ostensibly, this group exists to basically safeguard the well-being of all of Ten Towns. So essentially, they like elect a mayor, and then that mayor, that speaker, goes and you know, is is it a standing meeting, or is it something that's only called when there's emergencies, like you said? Um, there is. It's they're supposed to uh, see each other a number of times a year, but it's really the case where, in in actual practice even though meetings are held almost every month, uh, a number of speakers simply will not attend them all. Oh. Uh, and there's actually a couple speakers, um, for instance, uh, Edgar Dermut of uh, Duggan's Hole, who almost never goes to meetings. She just can't be bothered. What, uh, you know, Bryn Shander, I guess, is one of the most powerful, or at least you know, has the most influence. Uh, who is who's the speaker of, of Bryn Shander now? The speaker of Brinchander is a young but uh, wise beyond her years woman named Duvessa Shane. She was uh, first sort of introduced or brought to the fore in a product that we released between fourth and fifth edition called Legacy of the Crystal Shard. It was sort of a, an edition agnostic adventure uh, that we put out to kind of fill a, a gap between the two editions. And uh, she has a prominent role to play in that adventure and again appears in Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. And she's, uh, uh, um, she's, has, she has a good head on her shoulders. Okay, sounds good. Uh, and then what are some of the other more prominent towns uh, and, and their leaders? Well, uh, one of the towns closest to Bryn Shander is on a lake called Mare Dualden, and it is the town of Targos. Uh, they are uh, known for having uh, the largest fishing fleet in 10 towns. Um, they are also uh, the only other settlement that has a wall on its, at least on its landward side. They can't obviously have much of a wall that goes out over the lake, although some, some of the wall does go over the lake. Uh, but Targos is a hardworking uh, fishing town, basically. But uh, its leader is newly appointed. Um, it has changed since the last time we visited Icewind Dale. Uh, the old speaker retired or got tired of basically being in the position, uh, uh, which I can relate to as a president of a homeowners association. There's only so much energy you can give <laughs> before it gets sucked out of you. Um, uh, but uh, so the new one is actually a fellow named Nerf and Nerf Maxel Danar. And he's a bit of a he's a bit of a creep, mm. um, and he's he's got an allegiance uh, to an or to a, an organization uh, that we've we've tapped before and we've showcased before and we've talked about before. Uh, but this organization has dark designs in Icewind Dale, and he's kind of like their front man. What's the name of the organization? The Gentarum. Ah. The Black Network. The Black Network, yes, which is a kind of a, a shadowy organization that seeks to control all trade uh, throughout uh, Faerun. And uh, Icewind Dale is, is vulnerable and ripe, and uh, Nerith is conducting a number of operations and maneuvers to secure the Zentarum's foothold. This isn't the branch of the Zentarum that we saw in Waterdeep Dragon Heist with Manchun at the head, correct? Correct. So this is the... This is the mainline Zentarum. So, you know, creepy and not good, but not necessarily led by an evil clone. 
Right. Yes. Yes. And when you, the thing about 10 towns is you're kind of on your own up there. Uh, you can't really rely on support from south of the mountains. So you have to be sort of um, whatever resources you have or the resources you see around you. And so uh, Nerth and others like him who, who seek to gain more power have to do it through influence and, and bribes and other means. They can't just, you know, call the home office and expect reinforcements to show up on their doorstep. And I imagined uh, winged serpents don't fly very well in blizzards. <laughs> they do tend to get lost and battered around, yes, as they, <laughs> as they, as they try to fly around. Uh, for those who don't know, that's the preferred, uh, they're the carrier pigeons of the Zentarum, are basically winged snakes. Uh, now, Nerith does have some, but he uses them to communicate with his spies in 10 towns. I see. Uh, does he have any designs on uh, you know, different settlements? Is that something that players might be able to, to uncover? Yes, in fact, uh, what you discover is uh, one of the town speakers, uh, the speaker of the town of Goodmead, has died. And mm. is, uh, there's an election being held to replace him. And one of the candidates is basically one of Nerf's puppets. Oh. But you don't know which one that is. Uh, and Goodmead, I mean, you know, follows along ten towns naming uh, properties of it being exactly what the, the name <laughs> means. Goodmead, yeah, Goodmead is of course where uh, ten town. It's it's the settlement that produces this uh, very popular mead that the people of ten towns drink um, sometimes to excess. But it's actually important to them. It, it's a key part part of their economy and it's a key part of their well-being, this sweet honey mead. And so there's this large mead hall that sort of dominates the skyline in good mead that, uh, where you can hear the, the droning of bees because, of course, bees produce the honey that goes into the mead. And uh, so uh, keeping these bees alive um, and, and nourished is sort of part of good mead's deal. How, now, of uh, course, how is that possible? Uh, not even just given the extra cold, but just the normal amount of cold that happens in Icewind Dale. Is it, is it a hothouse? Is it a greenhouse? Yeah, they basically heat it with fires um, mm. and control, you know, in, in ovens. And they, they sort of, they, Goodmead has the benefit of being one of the few towns that's near a forest. Mm. And forests are pretty scarce in Icewind Dale. There's two. There's the forest of Lonelywood, and then there's this small little forest north of Goodmead where at least they have ready access uh, to wood. And they have loggers constantly going in there and, and, and dragging wood back to town. Um, and so they're able, the challenge, of course, because of the weather, is just getting the mead to all the other settlements safely. And so that can be a challenge. But, you know, if, if the Zentarum can control the mead flow in 10 towns, that's huge for them. Yeah. That will, that will give them a tremendous amount of influence. And collateral, you know, against the town. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, we can withhold shipments of this and, you know, your taverns will, will dry out basically if you don't do what we say. So there's a lot at stake. That's okay. Well, that, that is interesting. Uh, what, what, you mentioned transportation through the cold. Like how do people in 10 towns get around to the other settlements? Is it easy? Is it hard? So most of the settlements are within about five miles of each other. So even in the worst inclement conditions, a person can trudge from one town to the next. The danger, of course, is there's no patrols. So mm. if you do get lost, tough luck. If you do encounter, say, a, a hungry crag cat or a wandering yeti that's come down from the mountains, too bad for you. Um, 
But uh, so the, the distances aren't huge. So that, that works the advantage. Um, there are trails, of course, that lead, connect the towns, but most of them are completely engulfed in winter under, buried under snow. A lot of the towns actually get to each other uh, by a boat, but most of the lakes have frozen over. And so there's a lot of ice fishing going on, but not a lot of uh, water travel. Any um, like dog sleds or things like that? Dog sleds are a popular choice uh, for those who can afford them because the mm. dog sled will, and the dogs, of course, you have to feed the dogs and that's expensive. And then the sleds themselves are not the cheapest thing. But if you can afford one, it's, it's the best way to go. Now, there is an alternative. Um, is uh, Something we actually introduced in Rhyme of the Frost Maiden is uh, some intrepid merchant imported a bunch of axe beaks. Uh, oh. And because of their sort of wide splayed toes, they're really good at running across snow. And, uh, and they also have a thick skin and uh, their feathers are actually provide layers of protection. So they're, they're good um, beasts of burden, better than mules, actually, um, because of the snow. Interesting. They're like uh, little fantasy tauntauns. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you have your temperamental Axbeak tauntaun with you, and that can carry at least your, your stuff so that you're not weighted down. Snowshoes, of course, are popular. Um, Do not, yeah. And then for those who know, the, the, it spreads out people's weight so that you can walk on top of snow without the risk or a lesser exactly. risk of falling through and yeah. getting caught in a drift. Yeah. Yeah. And so Icewind Dale does provide uh, some, some equipment like that that you can't get in the player's handbook. That's great. Um, yeah. What is the makeup of the town? Like you mentioned, uh, you know, there's various people from the south, southern parts. Uh, you know, are there mostly humans? Are they mostly halflings? Like what's, what's the kind of makeup of, of Ten Towns? That's a really good question. Um, so the nature of Icewind Dale is such that it attracts not only adventurous types and frontiers folk, but also people who are looking to get away from whatever trouble haunts them in their life. So uh, it has attracted its fair share of criminals and, and outlaws and uh, brigands and other sorts. So it is, but it is, um, these people come from all over the realms, as far south as Chult and even farther south than that. Mm. Uh, since Icewind Dale is technically on the Sword Coast, Anybody, any of the lands up and down the coast have basically had explorers land in Icewind Dale and kind of make routes there. So in Icewind Dale, you will find more a more diverse population of occupants than you will um, almost anywhere outside of Waterdeep. And they're human, you know, they're elves, dwarves, halflings, they're everybody. Um, and of course, because all of civilization in Icewind Dale is basically clustered around these 10 towns, all of these races and peoples have come to coexist. Now, some towns have sort of influences, like maybe a large number of settlers from one place ended up in this one town, and you'll see some of that influence still to this day in that town. Like if one place was uh, sort of founded or dominated by Amnian or Tetherian traders, there might be some vestige of the, that sort of Amian or Tetherian root still there that you can see either in the architecture or in some of the decoration. Uh, if there were people, uh, if there were visitors from Karatur, which is a land far to the east uh, that somehow found their way up here through trade or whatever, uh, you'll see that their influence is also here. So there, you know, there are places in Bryn Shander where you can see uh, a multitude of different 
cultural influences. That's really cool. Um, it's a good way to be able to bring in stuff that you've always wanted to bring in. Like, oh, like, you know, how yes. I want a Kenku little bit of a settlement or, you know, something, a tabaxi, you know, and introduce yeah, it would them not to be out campaign. of the ordinary to find, it would not be out of the ordinary to find a tabaxi, um, you know, uh, around 10 towns and they'd probably fare better than a lot of others because at least they have fur. Um, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, uh, there are also um, some, uh, uh, indigenous creatures that might end up finding a home in there. For instance, it's not beyond the pale to think that kobolds or goblins might be able to find a home in 10 towns because people who live in 10 towns basically are because they have their own dark pasts and secrets and they're accustomed to interacting with people who do, they, they probably wouldn't blink twice at like a goblin who's 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 eked out a, a life here you know if you're willing to come here and you're willing to work on behalf of the town or or you know uh, you know trap trap animals or fish or whatever people aren't probably going to care too much about your past in fact they would be it would probably be uh, impolite to even approach you about your past everybody's got secrets in 10 towns yeah, right. That's Sometimes. part of the character, right? The, the, the yeah. no questions asked, you know, as long as you're pulling your weight yes. and contributing to the community, yes. you know, yes. and, and, and a lot of, of that is due to Drist too, right? Like his, his background, you know, was able to be respected uh, after a while just because of the contributions yeah. he made in the defending the towns. Exactly. You can't judge a person by how they look in Icewind Dale. It ultimately doesn't matter when everybody's just kind of on the same level and all just trying to survive day to day and eke out a living. Now, some towns like uh, Lonelywood, for instance, which is a town named after the forest that it sort of uh, rests up against, uh, that town is known for attracting a large criminal element. But again, this isn't a place where people kill each other in the streets. Mm. It's all very calm and everybody there is chill. (laughs) Uh, and, and, you know, just don't ask, just don't ask a lot of questions and you'll be fine. Um, these, these people have, have, have gone out of their way to start new lives for themselves. They don't want the past drudged up. That makes sense. And if you dare drudge it up, then you better be careful because, you know, these people are dangerous. Mm. They didn't want their, their past, uh, brought out for all to see. Yeah. Right. And frankly, they know that they still have probably enemies somewhere and they just don't want to be found. So drawing attention to them isn't helping them and ultimately it won't help you, which is why some people do disappear in the lonely wood forest and you never see them again. Um, so as a dungeon master, uh, you know, getting Rhyme of the Frostbane, how would you, you know, uh, approach advice or, or how to create stories with this political makeup that we've been describing? Well, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden is a story about isolation and paranoia and secrecy, um, and I think one of the one of the fun things as a DM is uh, playing with those themes and this this sort of uh, uh, loss of identity or the stripping away of identity. Uh, when you're out there outside, wandering around the snow drifts and the, the the boarded up buildings, and you see somebody walking ahead of you, bundled up in heavy furs and parkas, you don't know who they are. You don't know what they are. It could be three kobolds in a trench coat for all you know, um, the way they're, they're sort of all uh, bundled up. It's all about the mystery of the unknown and 
that thing that you think might be a human under all that first might be something else entirely. Um, and playing with that idea, I think, could be a, a, a lot of fun. Also in Icewind Dale, um, because it's going through a lot and it has been sort of trapped in this long winter, the towns are starting to do things that they wouldn't normally do. Like we've seen in our own real world how things like a pandemic can affect behavior, how, you know, there are some people who are willing to throw grandma under the bus or, you know, uh, let her die um, for the sake of, you know, their own um, benefit. Well, you, you get some of that in 10 towns where, you know, if, if, if there's a 10 town, if there's a community that's isolated and feels like the only way they're ever going to get out of the situation is to offer, say, a sacrifice to the Frost Maiden, the sort of god of winter's cruelty, so that she at least shows them an ounce of compassion. They might, they might do something that mm. they wouldn't normally do. They might sac- make might, get, might make a sacrifice uh, to her, and uh, you get to see what happens. That's a fun thing to play with as a DM: is how far can you kind of um, push things to show what people will do to survive. And that's what it's all about in 10 towns. It's about survival, survival at any cost. And hopefully the, um, the player characters when they enter this area can be a voice of reason or at least, you know, a, a, you know, not necessarily lawful good, but at least a good force to be like, Hey, what you're doing, I know it makes sense, but you know, we're just new to the situation. This feels not right, and we can do this <laughs> differently. And uh, you know, it, yeah, it it's it's better. a case where you know it, there's an opportunity to show true leadership and true heroism in a place like this, and just remind people who have maybe lost um, the, this idea or this notion that um, you have to cling. Even though we're not all you know, not all characters in D and D are humans. There's humanity, uh, and you don't want to strip too much of that humanity away. Otherwise you're just predators. Um, you're no, you're no better than the Yeti and the crag cats um, who are, who are out there in the blizzards. And uh, if the 10 towns is going to survive, it has to stick together. That's, that's a really great thought. And yeah, it goes back to someone's definition of what civilization was in anthropologic yes. and archeological digs. And it was when they, they, they go back to find a, um, a bone that had been healed, and the, to them, that was the definition of when civilization began. And yeah. that is somewhat true, in, in, even in Icewind Dale. Exactly. In *Rime of the Frost Maiden*, we describe ten towns as the flickering candle lights of civilization, and that's what they are. They're flickering right now. Yeah. And uh, if if you don't want them all to go out, that's that's what the heroes have to do. Got to burn bright. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, you know, uh, definitely with a story of isolation and despair, uh, <laughs> it's nice to have the player characters be that uh, shining light and hopefully, you know, create uh, some consistent uh, candle burnings uh, mm-hmm. in both our yes. world and in Icewind Dale. So, yes, even as they even as they guard their own secrets. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, great. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I can't wait for pe- people to get their hands on uh, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden on September 15th. Uh, if people would like to ask you any questions about what's going on in Icewind Dale, uh, what's, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? I'm on Twitter at Chris Perkins DND. 
Excellent. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it. So thanks a lot, Chris. You're welcome. I can't wait for Icewind Dale. Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. Fortunately, you don't have to wait too long. That's right. No, Because you have a copy, like six oh, inches that's true. from you right I now. Do. <laughs> Which I forgot I did. Actually, I brought it back from the office, and I'm like, oh, crap. I've been, I've been thumbing through the Theros copy that I just got because uh, I, I, uh, I love so much, that, too. It looks so, so gorgeous. So much good stuff. Exactly, right? There's so much to yes. play. I um, si- am singing, of course, because uh, it is time to welcome the Critical Bard. I know. Omega warm Jones. Up, warm up the vocal cords. One, two, three. <laughs> Welcome, Omega Jones, to Dragon Talk. How are you? Yay! <laughs> I'm good. I cannot complain. Well, but I could complain because Corona. Yeah. But I'm not going to. Okay. It's, it's worthwhile. It's so glad to have you, though. Uh, we are excited because uh, not only are you a fantastic, you know, a streamer, human uh, a human being, uh, but you're also uh, a panelist for an upcoming panel at D and D Celebration. Yes, I am. A I'm moderator. Very even. excited. Yes, I'm a. Mo- it's like that's like my new brand. All of a sudden, that I'm like hosting and moderating things, which is fine. I love that. It's just like I didn't expect that. A couple of months ago. Oh, a yeah. couple of months ago. Yes. And you've gotten a lot of uh, experience uh, moderating the Black AF panels uh, yep. and <laughs> discussing all the issues with uh, people of color in the TRPG space and just in mm-hmm. the world. <laughs> I mean, someone's got to talk about it. And I'm not saying I have to be the one talking about it, but I have the platform, so why not? Yeah. Is that is that what you know, led you to have that first panel? Was it just, you know, frustration and being like, somebody's got to do it? Yeah, I made a post on Twitter because, you know, the the killing happened and a lot of us were just like, we weren't just grieving, but it was just this idea of what do we do? How do we navigate? We're about to get the inevitable, I am so sorry this is happening, that always happens, um, especially from non-Black people towards Black people uh, when these moments happen. And it's like, okay, we need to do something. And I made a post and I was like, I just want to gather a bunch of Black creators within our community specifically to talk about the realities of racism, not just in the world, but in the tabletop community. Because around the same time, we were having the orc discourse and all that stuff. And it's like, let's do something. And I reached out to Tanya DePass, Cypher of Tear. Um, and then from there, I gathered the groups. And I was like, y'all want to talk? And there was like, Yeah. Uh, and it happened. And then, yeah, from there, it was like this, this knack, this need to, um, speak. Um, I mean, I speak a lot. I mean, I need to be quiet sometimes. However, uh, now is not the time. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, (laughs) this, this felt like the right time to not just make my voice be heard because trust me, I am a theater kid. My theater teacher from high school instilled in me project. I want to hear you from the back. So like (laughs) I can be loud. That's not the problem. I wanted to also make sure that other people were as loud as me. Other black folk were as loud as me and able to have their voice be heard as well. So I was like, yeah, we're going to do this. And then it happened. And then we did more. And then that led to other opportunities. And then, yeah, it's just, it happened out of necessity, but I'm not mad at it. No. And do you feel like, because obviously these are conversations that you've been having for years Mm -hmm. and that people of color have been having 
for years and years and years and years and years and years. Do you feel like finally, like people are listening that this is, it's a little bit different than the time before and the time before and the time before? I call myself a realist in most situations. Yes, with an asterisk. Okay. It's like, yes, people are listening, but people are also listening because of two things. One, it's the cool thing to listen. It's becoming performative to care about Black lives because we saw it. People put Black, Black Lives Matter and BLM and all these things and like specifically Twitter I'm talking about, put them in their Twitter titles and all these things are Blackout Tuesday and all this stuff. And literally two months later, nothing's happening. Those exact same people have gone silent. So it was mm-hmm. cool to talk about. It. It's cool to care. So yeah, they're listening, but they're not retaining. They're allowing it in and then it's just flushed out when the next cool thing is talked about. Yeah. And there's, and there's the hard thing of being like, you know, we, you know, maybe there are actions that are taken uh, or steps in the right direction. Um, but too often, and you've seen this time and again, where it's just like, okay, we did it. You know, I mean, we, we I mean, it was in the national discourse when Obama was president where it's like, all right, mm-hmm. that's it. I mean, literally racism is over is what people have said. <laughs> and I was like, that is not true. Uh, no, no. And so I'm worried about that happening, you know, without the constant energy and uh lifting up of voices that you've been doing but that's also tiring too and so i want i don't i want to give you kudos uh to you as 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 the organizer of these panels as well as all of your panelists that you brought on for this is that it's 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 not easy you know and people might say like oh you're just talking and blah 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 but like i i see the labor that you are putting in for each one of these you know that we that that is public but then also all the stuff that's in between and the sad part about it, really, is the fact that it is tiring, but it's second nature. It's second nature for Black folk to explain why we have to do something. It's second nature for Black folk to be able to come up with all these stories of everything that's happened to us because it's happened to us daily. So it's not like it's work, but it's not work because it's almost so daily. It's just part of who we are. And that's that's really sad. It's sad that we are... We live a life where we always have to be alert. Like I joke all the time. I say my highest two stats are perception and insight. I, I, can, I can see everything. And I also have the observant and alert feeds. I really do. <laughs> I do. I mean, all, and all Black people do. Like they, it's, just, it's just how we have to live. So yeah, it, it was definitely a lot of work. But could I do a lot more? I surely could. If I wanted to do a panel next week, I could. I'd be tired. But it's something that, like, you one, you will never see that tiredness because I'm an actor. <laughs> uh, that's the two, definition of being an actor, working, you know, eight shows a week for mm-hmm. three months. Yeah. But two, it's just, again, if I don't talk about it, who is going to talk about it? Hey, I have that answer for you. No one. So, yeah, I do it. Well, you're 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 doing good stuff, and uh, we appreciate it. And I'm happy that Dungeons and Dragons is able to help lift up your voices as much as we can. Um, and that, you know, I'm hoping that you know, even just this interview gets one more person to to internalize what that struggle is and what it means, and how they can make small actions and large ones to to you know course correct. That's kind of how I've been looking at it all. Again, it, it goes to like, yes, a lot of people are listening for a second and then it going away. But there are a small set of people who are actually retaining the information and trying to work on it. And I say small because at the end of the day, there's a lot more people who don't care about Black lives than people who do. It's mm-hmm. just what it is. So it's not to 
make it out to be like, it's so tiny, but it's just the facts of the matter. Uh, but there are people who are starting to listen. Like I know you too and, and many other people uh, in the community and out of the community. And it is good to see, however, I mean, I'm not going to give you a cookie for it, uh, even though I, I thank you for it. But you know what? It is noticed. It is noticed when people listen. It is noticed when people care. So yeah, and something's happening. I mean, you know, I, I'm not from, from the community that you are. And so it is always, uh, I always say this with, um, uh, you know, all, the, all those caveats, right? But there was something that clicked for me a few years ago, uh, discourse around Black History Month. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and it was the same thing. Someone was expressing like, everybody's really talking about this during February, but what happens on March 1st? You know, mm-hmm. what, what is, what is that yeah. going to mean? And mm-hmm. it was so something. I made a post, I made a post on Twitter about it and it was a little controversial, but I tend to uh, straddle that line of being real and being contra- controversial because I kind of the two sides of the same coin. You just don't want to admit that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I made a post. And again, I, I was raised by my mother, by my sister, by my aunt. I was raised by my grandmother. I am, women are in my life all the time. But I specifically said, it's so funny watching everyone not talk about Black History Month, but March 1st, watch how many people talk about women, mm-hmm. white women. <laughs> yeah. It was like, right. white women. Let me, let me, let me add that comment. Yeah. And it's, but that's the truth. It's like, it's like, while I want you to talk about, I want you to talk about all the things all the time. But that's what I wanted. I wanted all of the time. It's like, yes, we have a month. We shouldn't need a month. But yes, we have a month. But don't only talk about us or not talk about us during that one month. Talk about us all the time, whether it's queer people, women, disabled folk, you know, all these other races. It's like, talk about us and support us 24-7, not just when it's cool. Right. Yeah, Yeah. I I noticed that a lot, you know, people keep saying like, you have to have the uncomfortable conversations. And I notice like, it's lip service. Like people say that all the time, mm-hmm. but I, it's, it, that was something that, that really triggered for me because it, it, it makes me think about like my actions and the things that I've done and the things that I should have done. And I realize uncomfortable conversations, I, all the moments when I should have pushed for them. And I've been in those situations and I'm like, oh, let it slide. Like, oh, it's family or in whatever, mm-hmm. or like we're on dinner or like it's Christmas. I don't want my, you know, but I've, I feel like, especially being a parent now that it, it's, it's more of like, I don't have a, a, the choice. I should not have the choice. And I have to, to push back when I, I hear and see things because I want my son to also feel empowered to do that as well. Mm-hmm. And and so that's something that has really clicked with me throughout, like, you know, with everything going on that I, I'm making a conscious choice. Like, I am in no no means, like, evolved, like, to where I need to be. But it was like, I'm, I'm trying to find those moments and, and to recognize and just to be more perceptive of, like, this is what they're talking about. <laughs> like, this is, yeah. they, these are those moments. Um, and yeah, and, like, and I have a son and he's, he's white and I realize, and we're, we're teaching him and instilling in him, like, do you recognize, you have to recognize privilege and you have to recognize what your, what your black friends that are in your class or, you know, my, my friend's children, what the, their lives, their paths are going to be so much different than yours. And that's also like, it's. It pain. It's painful to have those conversations with a kid because, like, their world is so just like 
this is my world right. and the world is great. And then but like, they, to, but they to, you so have much to tell too. Like they, yeah. they, they understand. And when I, when I, hundred yeah, percent, definitely don't want to talk over you. <laughs> no, but uh, I mean like seeing them realize like this, there, the world is not perfect and that there is injustice. And that when he sees these people, he doesn't see, like, if you had to describe a, his black friend, he would be like, he loves Spider-Man. Um, mm-hmm. He has dark hair. You know, like, he's a little bit taller than me. Like, he, they don't really, you know, the color of the skin doesn't always, it's it's not that they don't see it, but it's not, like, the first thing. It's not their first thought, yeah. I mean, they're just like, oh, it's my friend. He loves Spider-Man. And yeah. Fun and all stuff. It's not the reality of the world. Yeah. But... Yeah. But I mean, it's 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 one of those things where it's like, I mean, and I'm not I I am not the entire Black Caucus at all. <laughs> uh, but a thing that I know I say a lot, and I know a lot of other a lot of Black folk as well have said, um, it's just understanding and knowing the privilege that you have, whether it's in life, whether it's in tabletop, whatever. Understanding that, yeah, life is a little bit better for me. And I know a lot of people like be like, I struggle too. Oh yeah. It's yeah. not about the outward <laughs> struggles. It's not about like whether you live in like a trailer park versus a hotel versus a mansion. It's not, a, it's not like if you have a better school versus, it's not like, it's not that. It's just the fact that they can, I mean, luckily my name's Omega and people go, who's Omega? But if my name was like, and I'm using this name, people are like, why do you use that one? Because I can. If my name was like LaJasha Jenkins on, on, a, on, a, on a resume, Versus the Marie, guess who's getting thrown out? <laughs> yeah. So it's like it's it's those small things that make non-black folk um, a little higher in the society, um, unfortunately. So it's like understanding just that that innate privilege that you have and being willing to admit to your inner racism. Because I'm not saying you're racist, but it's just the way it is being able to admit to those things and work on those things and actively support non-white folk uh, or non-marginalized folk and and, and, and just be, I don't like to use the word ally. Like uh, I got this from Tanya of the past again. I don't don't care for allies. I care about accomplices, like people who are there, like people are there with you, not there to get cookies or get flowers or pat them back. Right. Um, So it's just, it's just being willing to accept that, you have an ability to just get by better than most people around you. Accept that, use that to uplift those very people, and then we're fine. That's it. And, you know, <laughs> to, to bring it back a little bit to Dungeons & Dragons, it's something mm-hmm. that every dungeon master does, right? If you see a, a player at, you know, at, at your table who's struggling, every dungeon master is like, hey, I want to I put a spotlight on you because mm-hmm. it feels like you're not enjoying the game right now or... You know, I'm going to make this conscious choice to take something from your background and make it a, a highlight in the next game or something like that. And that's the type of stuff that we're just probably has a, a very huge impact, right? Like just yeah. stuff that you would do. Empathy. Empathy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Empathy. Yes. <laughs> just feeling, just understanding, just getting it. Uh, we're not asking for a lot. And yeah, to bring it to tabletop, um, it's actually funny because I've had this, uh, the talk about how can I be a better DM? And one of those things, you know, what's bringing in. Um, making sure, you know, everyone is seen at the table. That's not one spotlight. Yeah, you might have an episode or two or a session or two that's based around one character, but making sure you're bringing all the characters in in some way, shape, or form. Um, but that, but 
I think a lot of people forget that it's not just on the DM to do that. Mm. Fellow players, it's up to you as well. Um, and I use this as an analogy for, for Black folk because a lot of people feel like it's only the leaders in certain areas that have to do the work. And that's not true. That you is. are just as important and just as able to fix these situations and just be in someone's corner. Um, like as far as it goes at the table, if you're a player and you know for a fact, like I'm an actor, I I I know how much I can and won't perform. So if I'm doing a lot, if I'm having this moment and I look over and I see someone's been quiet, guess who I'm going to throw it to? I'm going to get that bean back and go, hey, catch. Uh, yeah. I'm going to make sure they're brought into the story. And I'm even going to angle it in a way that it becomes your story and I'm supporting you. Not just you're coming into my story. It's all analogous for each other. It's just like, just be there, empathize, understand. <laughs> society, <laughs> society is a collaborative storytelling game. Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> yes, but it is. <laughs> it is. Because let's, let's be real. Society was all about the survival of the fittest, and we all love a good survival horror game. It was about <laughs> survival of the fittest until we decided to work together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes, society is about collaborating and, and and telling that story together so the next chapter can be better so that book can end on a good note so we can make another book with more time it's like it's all building on each other this is why i love being a bard yes, yes, yeah <laughs> this is why i love being a bard well, uh, and stories and stories can do so much too like that's i mean that's why i think there has been such a uh you know a lightning rod for people being attracted to to dungeons and dragons during this time is because it can feel transformative like it is mm-hmm. it is a made-up game with dragons and fantasy and blah 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 but it can feel you know it can have a lot of those same things that we don't necessarily have uh the ability to do in our lives you know and mm-hmm. or it can just instruct and be like well maybe i do have that ability and maybe i do have that 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 inner strength uh to be the paladin of of, of justice uh mm-hmm. you know and and i i love that and i and and you know shelly was talking about parenting and how that was i didn't i didn't have parents that were you know, of that ilk, right? I, I wouldn't say that they were overtly, you know, racist or anything like that, but they were, um, you know, d- they didn't they didn't take the care that Shelley is having, and I did it. I learned, I think, through through stories, like through watching Star Trek, through watching, um, you know, uh, Roots when I was a kid and things like that. Like I started to learn through uh, these passive means, and I feel like you know, Dungeons and Dragons is even more powerful because it's not just a passive entertainment; it's this interactive storytelling. Yeah, um, you learn so much um, through this game, whether it's something about yourself or something, you, like you said, you, you didn't know you can do. I believe this is one of the most creative ways. Let me rephrase that. This game has been, for me personally, the one of the biggest creative outlets I've ever had, ever. Because it's allowed me to just do things. And it's not about being fantastical. Like, I cast fireballs. It's not really about that. But there's something that I take away from every single session I do, whether it's a long-term campaign or a one-shot. I leave that session feeling good. I, I leave that session feeling like I accomplished something. And if I can do that in-game, I can apply that to my real life. I can, I can do things and feel good about it at the end. Yeah. Um, there's, just, there's, there's something about it. And I, I did not expect to like this game as much as I did. Me either. I, I, I <laughs> was that, yeah, really. It's, yeah, it's like I, I was that person where, I mean, yes, I performed and did all these things, but like I looked at this Dungeons and Dragons game and I was like, ew, what are you? 
But like, <laughs> but no, like I, I looked at this game and was like, I don't want to play that. It's for nerds and all this stuff. And while I wasn't like a popular person, I, it just wasn't something I was interested in. And it's actually funny. It's because of theater that I even learned about this game. My my director for a 24-hour play festival I did, which is very hard. Don't do it, folks. Mm. Don't do it. Well, you, <laughs> you, you write, direct, and produce a, a show in, in 24 hours? hours? Yes. I've oh. done that before. Oosh. Ooh, it is not. It is. I've done I've done four in a year. Uh, wow. And it was like, I mean, I love them. I really do. I directed one. I wrote one. And I acted into two others. But doing that, the person who created um, this group who was doing these things, he was like, I want to get a group of play, people who play Dungeons and Dragons together. And I was like, sure, it sounds like fun. I haven't done it yet. I don't know. And I did it. And I made my, uh, I won't say his name because it's probably not, um, I probably shouldn't say it on, a, on an interview. I'll say that. Um, <laughs> uh, well, now you got to tell us off Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't know what the language barrier is. However, I wanted a character named Thought. Like okay. T H O T. So his name is Thoughtwar. Uh and just just so I can literally say, be gone, thought. Like that's that's literally why. <laughs> um but they were a um work of a die rip. Uh they were a um Tempest cleric of Talos. Um they were my first character and I loved them. They actually were a Tempest cleric slash storm herald barbarian. They were a tank cleric. Whoa. Uh and they could destroy something very easily. Uh, but uh, no, they were a lot of fun. There was something about him that just, he wanted power. He wanted power originally to save his little brother who got killed. But then that got, cats, that got shifted <laughs> to, I want power for myself to never be weak. And then that just, that character, oh, he was just a powerhouse. He was the left hand of Talos, not the right hand. He was the force and he just, he did I will never forget, actually, one time um, a character, like, was bad-mouthing him. Like, a, a PC, like, one of my characters today was bad-mouthing him. And he was like, okay. And we got into this gauntlet type of um, uh, initiative battle where we're dealing a wave upon wave upon these enemies. Um, and we end up fighting a frost giant who knocked this other character unconscious. And it was my turn. And DM was like, are you going to spare the dang them? <laughs> nah. Shatter. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! You got you got back at him. Yeah, I'm like, I'll hear you when you're almost dead. Then you'll learn. Uh, but no, I just uh, this game it it, it it sparked something within me. It's yeah, well, the way me. the way you uh, just described that character, you know, kind of yeah, just off the cuff like that. I mean, you could see the passion, like it ignited. You know, mm. did you have all that before you went into the session, or did you learn about that at the session? I learned about him. Compl- Actually, when I first started him, his character sheet was all wrong because I had never understood. Like the stats were just wonky. I was like, I was way more charismatic than than I had wisdom. And I had like no no strength, no. Con- it was something, and my DM was like, "We need to look at this and work this out." Um, <laughs> it was like, I don't know. He was like, "Your AC, you mean your DC for spells should not be like 14. What's going on?" I was like, "I don't know." Um, but no, I-, I learned so much about this character. I actually didn't know he was neutral evil by the by his death. I did not know that until halfway in. I'm more like three three fourths of the way in. Um, and it's actually funny. His death is actually really sad. My DM homebrewed this this magic item. I want to say this first and foremost. My DM, I'm not going to say his name because he probably doesn't want to be said. However, hmm. he DMs for over 25 people. At once? Not at once, but we're all in the same campaign. Oh, I oh. love that. Yeah, we've, we've explored uh, that a couple of times on interviews. It's so fun. But 
we have these big act finales and like at the act one and act two finale, all of us are there. And it's like, how do you do this, Kyle? Like I said his name. How do you do this? Uh, He's not going to. But but seriously, how do you do this? Uh, Right, Kyle. Um, (laughs) But he he created this because we were like in the plaintiff sphere and like we're in like this astral sea type thing, whatever. And um, um, this goddess, old forgotten goddess, gave us this crystal that, it, it was a magic item. We didn't really understood understand what it was, but basically we learned that it had certain effects on certain spells. And specifically with damage-dealing spells, what would happen is, and I'm going to explain it as it happened for my character, we were doing the Act 2 finale, and we are fighting this bad Deva, this clockwork Deva, who just wanted to just destroy the world and rewrite it and all this stuff. Uh, he cast Shatter through it. Um, and it was your spell-casting focus, and you cast a spell without using a spell slot. And then once you do that the crystal acts if you want to do it again. And if you say, yeah, you cast the spell again. And it acts and acts and acts. Each time you say yes, you cast the spell, you do the damage and all the stuff. When you finally say no, there is a wisdom save, and I believe the DC is 25. Whoa. There's a wisdom save. And if you fail that save, you have to cast the spell again. And then you keep doing it until you finally succeed. <clears throat> and then you calculate all the damage, and specifically this is with damage-dealing spells. You calculate all that damage, and that damage is done to them. And then my DM does a thing, and he hasn't told me what it is, where you either take 50% of that damage, 100% of that damage, or 150% of that damage. What? Yeah. And I did that. She was basically destroyed. I went over my max by two. Whoa. I was instantly killed. Oh, <laughs> but it was like he went out with a bang. He went out. He's, he's the yeah. god of storm and destruction. He's like, yeah, I'm going out being destructive. It was powerful. That's cool. It was a moment. And the sad part is he couldn't be revived only because we didn't have another cleric at that one. And then we were in limbo and we had run and his body was just <laughs> left. It was just a whole thing. Like he was not coming back. He's gone. But it was like the way to go out. I guess oh, I love that game. I love D and I do. Yeah, because I mean, <laughs> obviously you write that in, and you're like, oh, nobody, no, nobody's gonna ever choose to take that much damage. And then you're like, no, I'm gonna choose. You know, let me be this lightning conduit. And I have this image of like, I will like never so forget. Much- at- Everyone was just like, he's still going. And I'm like, I'm still going. Why am I doing this to us? <laughs> yeah. Keep rolling. Keep rolling. Well, the worst part is, I was, I, we, we didn't have any druids, and there was another cleric, but he couldn't make it that day. So other than that, I think we had a ranger too, but like we were the wisdom-based characters and I was failing so many saves and I had a really good uh, uh, wisdom um, saving throw. So I'm just like, y'all, don't nobody else do this. I am the warning. If I can't make it, you won't. (laughs) But it was, yeah, it was was good. And I mean, that story and just that game just inspired me to be here. That's that's amazing. How, How long ago was that? Ooh, he died last year. Okay. Was it last year? Yeah. I only, oh, I've only really? been playing D&D for about three and a half years now. Almost four. Yeah, that campaign's still going. That's um, cool. Which is cool. Um, I have another character now who's a hot mess, but that's another story. <laughs> a bard? A bard, <laughs> a bard? He is a bard, actually. Hmm. Uh, yeah, he, his name is Malachi. He's a fallen Asmar. He was born in the Shadowfell, which is why he's fallen. Oh. He didn't like fall from grace or anything like that. I guess I had this thought like, if you were born in the shadow, so especially as Asmar, like you just, that light isn't there. So I was like, he was born a fallen Asmar. He's a, um, he's actually a College of the Maestro bard. I'm using Matt Mercer's bard. Sweet. Uh, subclass plus Undying Warlock. 
because he made a pact with Kellen Vore. He was like, get me out of here and I'll serve you in some way, shape, or form. But I won't be a cleric because I hate cl- clerics. <laughs> that was his thing. He's like, I hate clerics. You got to draw so the line somewhere. Yeah. But uh, no, he's, he's a hot mess. I love him. <laughs> but. Yeah. So, no. so go, go ahead, Shelly. Well, I was going to say, now maybe you wish you did play D&D earlier all those uh, years ago. You know, I don't know. Because or maybe you, you weren't ready f- to receive it. <laughs> but, but, but that's actually kind of the thing. It's like you say, yeah, that'd be really cool. But like you look at your life, you look at everything that's happened. And I believe in two big concepts. I believe in time and I believe in fate. I believe that things happen for a reason. Yeah. And I also believe you can't force things to happen when they're not supposed to happen. Yeah. Um, so, and there's a lot, excuse me, a lot of my past that happened that made me who I am now. And I believe I, I picked up this game at the time I needed to pick it up. Yeah. Um, cause like if I, if, if I look, if I tell you about the timeline, I started playing D and D and all this stuff. And then in that time I learned about critical role. Um, and then I was bored being a singer and I wasn't, I didn't have rehearsal for dream girls this day. So I recorded the theme song to him handbook or helper that they did. They liked it. They retweeted it. I became part of the community. Now we're all here. It's like all these things happened when they were supposed to happen. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight that. No, it's okay. And as an actor, I mean, sometimes you just, you got to believe in that because you're like, you know, (laughs) there's a reason why I needed to not get, those 50 parts yeah. before I got the one that I got. <laughs> no, yeah, that's right. I did not get my first. I mean, I've been acting professionally for almost about 10, 11 years now. Um, I didn't get my first leading role until 2016, mm. 15, 16. Uh, I don't remember. I was playing Cole House in Ragtime. Um, oh, nice. And, but <clears throat> here's the thing to bring it about race for two seconds. I'm a tenor. I'm tall. I'm very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I have a presence on stage. Um, I match well with people. I, sh- I am like your, your equation for the leading male in the show. Never got it. I was always like the random guy who comes in and gets like, ah, and leaves. <laughs> That's all I got. Yeah. But it's like, why? <laughs> but so no, yeah. I mean, and like that happened for a reason. I actually won an award for that uh, for that role, and that led to some other things. Now I'm an equity actor, so like I got my card. I did everything I needed to do. <laughs> so it's like it's like it happens. I'm here now. I'm not going to complain about the past because the past is right now irrelevant. Yeah. Um, what matters now is what happens here and what happens tomorrow and in the future. That's a good attitude. I. I, I have to have that attitude because if I don't, I'd be in a miserable pile of secrets on my bed crying about everything. Uh, like, I just would. Yes, that was a Castlevania res- reference. Don't judge me. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's, 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 it's like there's no point in wallowing on everything you might not have gotten or wallowing on all the crap that you might have been through. And it's not to compare to anyone, but unfortunately, I went through a lot as a child. Like I was in foster care almost all of my life. Mm. Um, I was adopted when I was a uh, sophomore in high school. Oh, wow. Uh, Wow. Not an easy transition time. Nope. (laughs) Uh, So, but I had already become so independent by that point because I had to be because no one else wanted to, uh, you know, care for me. Like they probably should have, whatever. Um, But because of all those things, I am what I am now. So it's like, yeah, it sucked, but it happened for a reason. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm well, not going to like forgive it, you know, in a way, but it's like it, it happened. And there are people who are still waiting for that, that shot or that role, you know, and mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, you know, it, it, it's all relative, right? You're all like, all yeah, right, I, need, like, I need to I, get I, to these things to, to make that happen. I would have never, ever, I will never forget when I got the email saying, hey, we want you to do this Black AF panel on D&D Live. I was like, I'm sorry, what? Can I read that again? Because I am confusion. What do you mean? <laughs> um, but that, that wouldn't have happened if those things didn't lead me to where it is now. And now I'm actively doing things with Wizards. It's like, uh, and, and, you know, not to really get into that subject, but it's like, I am a Black, very visible Black person working with Wizards right now. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that win. <laughs> yeah. You know? I am, and so. and it's not, and it's because of the the work you've done, right? It's not, yeah. it's 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 because <clears throat> you did all that work lifting up the voices before and made it all happen, and so you know, yeah, take that win because it's 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 yours. Yeah, I mean, and and yes, to be, I mean, it's not having an ego like Beyonce says. Some call it arrogance. I call it confidence. Um, I worked really hard to get to where I'm at now. So I'm going to take it and I'm going to, but it's not the end. Just yeah. because I got here now doesn't mean that couldn't be taken away in, in one in one split second. That's where it comes, that's where time comes in. I cannot control time. <laughs> I will do what I do as I do it. I'm not going to rush for nothing. I'm not going to look at the end. I'm just going to let it be what it is. So I'm enjoying the ride and that's that. <laughs> nice. So uh, speaking back to the, the Black AF roundtable. What what are you what would you like to see happen with that? What are your goals? What are your hopes and dreams? What are my hopes and dreams? What are my aspirations? Yes. Um well no um <laughs> <laughs> no uh I again it goes back to being realistic. I don't mm-hmm. I do not ever believe racism is going to not be a thing. It's it is ingrained in our literal continent. We were raised upon the backs of Native and Black folk, quite literally. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, I just, I want people to just be willing to have us at the table. It's not an end table. It's a full-on table. We all can sit there. <laughs> Comfortably. Mm-hmm. With leg room, because I'm six foot four. <laughs> I'm tall. So I need legs. tall. <laughs> so I mean, like I know, well, B. Davis like taller than me, which is like cool. But uh, he's I'm just like he is. He's a goliath. I'm like a half work. He's a goliath. <laughs> um, but no, just I just want folks to not be afraid of the fact that we exist. That's it. I want I want us not to be folks' second thought or afterthought. I want people to just remember that we're here too. We're working too. We're doing the same things as you. The literal only difference between us, other than you not being a singer and me being one, is that I'm black and you're white. Like, that's it. So, like, it's okay. But we like to, we want to celebrate each other's differences. That's what makes us unique. That's what makes us special. So, it's okay that I'm black. Celebrate that I'm black. I'll celebrate that you're white. I guess means we have something that we can learn about, you know, from each other. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's 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 really 
all I want. I just want people to just care. I want people to truly care. I'm not asking for monuments to be burned down. Other people were asking for that, and I'm not going to say no to that uh, at all, period. But I just want people to just be willing to be in our corners as much as we are in theirs. That's a good point. That's a good point. There's a, you know, a bunch of things in my head right now around, um, you know, not like Hamilton is this this uh, 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 thing to to um, always say it's the perfect thing ever, but what it has done is allowed for more uh, you know black casting for various roles that would not be traditionally thought that. I was thinking about Judas, for example. I was like, oh, that's usually played by a black man in Jesus Christ Superstar. I don't Fun know. fact: I did that show a couple of years ago, and I was Jesus. I see. I love that. Uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've, uh, yeah. Hey, Carl Anderson is a fantastic actor, and I'm, you know, what oh yeah, I love Judas. Judas, it's a great role in high school. Yeah. it's hard. <laughs> it is hard. It is hard. But, um, but you know, so so uh, with with Hamilton, things have been a lot of changing, and and uh, I know people in the entertainment industry who are struggling, who who are white and are are unable to get cast. Uh, you know, before uh, Hamilton, and now after Hamilton, it, it, there was a lot of discussion, which I always rejected, but it was about like, oh well. Now they're just getting cast because they are people of color or something that they aren't white. And that's something that what you're saying, like it just gets ingrained in people and they, they have these reactions. Um, and I, I, I wanted to kind of just put that to you and see like, what, what, how, how would you respond? How, how is the, the way to consider that uh, in a way that doesn't feel um, destructive, right? That, that continues to lift people up. Like, so like, think, like you said, thinking about Hamilton, Lin-Manuel is not a perfect individual. He's not. No one is. Um, But he did do something. And not just him, the casting and all that stuff. But, you know, he made sure that that show showcased America then as America looks now. That was like, I mean, I I just chopped and screwed that that phrasing. But that's basically what he wanted. He wanted wanted to see what America was like then using the faces of what it is today. it's not about being black or or Latinx or a person of color, but the blunt truth is we are here. And we're there's a lot more of us than people want to admit. Uh, so being with that knowledge in your head, whenever you do casting or you're trying to for say look for people to play in a DD group and all those things. It's not that you're asking them because they are black or because they are people of color. It's because they're there. So why intentionally exclude them? Mm. That's where the problem comes in. It's not about not including us because, look, there are a lot of people who live in white suburban neighborhoods and people around them just happen to be white people. We're not faulting you for that at all. We're just saying when you have the opportunity to look past and you see, if you look around you, you notice the racial makeup is not just Fifty Shades of Beige. It's okay to ask those people, you know, that's it. And especially in this day, this this day and age of uh, being virtual because of, you know, living on the plane of pandemics. (laughs) Um, So like, it's a lot easier 
to be like, I don't have white people around here because it's true. <laughs> We're all on a computer. You can reach out to anyone. So now it's almost no excuse. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's just one of those like, we're not asking for the world. We're just asking to be seen. Don't intentionally exclude us from that. That's it. And that's something that Hamilton did. He just, he added us to that pot because we're there. Um, I make this joke a lot in theater and because a lot of, you know, white folk get mad that they can't play Jefferson or they can't play Hamilton or Burr. You get those one. Well, I'll be the King George, obviously. <laughs> You're not funny. Um, and I'll play King George better than you could. Mm. But no, it's not. That's not. That's not doing the point. I mean, he wants that character to be a non-black person anyway. But I make this joke a lot. You can get the fattest encyclopedia, the fattest book, almanac, whatever you want. You can just throw that thing open and watch those pages fly and fly and fly. And while they're flying, you can take a dart. You can go a mile away. You can throw that thing and it will land in that book. And guess what? You probably can play that role <laughs> as a white person. Me, I'm looking at the, uh, the index looking for Cole House, uh, <laughs> T-Moon, um, Bernardo and West Side Story. It's like I have so little that's actually people who are people of color yeah. versus the, 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 the conglomerate of musical theater most of it actually doesn't have a color or rates attached to it at all. Um, an example I use is uh, Next Normal. If you're familiar with Next Normal, it's a family, mm. but that family doesn't have to be white, but people automatically assume so. So it's like, one, let us have Hamilton for one, <laughs> but two, it's like, it's not just about Hamilton. Cast us over here too. We're not just the black people. So it's like, just add us to the pot. Just let us come to that table. I want to eat, you know, the green bean casserole just as much as I want to eat the fried chicken. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm going to add some salt and pepper to that green bean casserole because <laughs> I know you didn't season it. It needs to be but, seasoned. <laughs> but I'll eat it. But not raisins. Not, you, you add raisins to anything. I don't mm. like raisins to begin with. But if you add Potatoes. raisins to anything, mm. it is going <laughs> to the trash. <laughs> I'm not going to let my dog eat it. I will not besmirch my dog. Well, they're I don't have toxic dogs. to dogs, so you shouldn't. <laughs> well, good. Good to know. <laughs> I always think of that scene for Better Off Dad. Where it's, like, it's got raisins in it. You like raisins, uh, but yeah, no. I and I, I just want to respond to something you said because you're you know you're saying like don't in, in, you know intentionally exclude. And I think what is happening now uh, over the last you know five years in musical theater, especially, is that people are being like, well, you know what we. We probably have intentionally and unintentionally excluded people for the hundred years of history of musical theater, and so now it's time to intentionally include uh, in mm-hmm. in some casting. Um, and I don't think that, I, I think that's what needs to happen, right? Like that's how you balance. Yeah. That's how you get to yeah. an equilibrium. You know, you have to. You can't just be like, well, it's going to eventually come down. You know, <laughs> no, you have to kind of make a conscious choice to include. Um, and uh, I, I like that. You know. That's what's happening. And like, and, and like the thing about you not intentionally excluding me is because with you saying that you are intentionally including me now. Yeah. If you're not, if, if you're going to actively, you know, try to make sure I'm around, that, that, that's it. Just, 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 let's just see. Uh, and yeah, it's like in theater, I'm happy that people are specifically now saying like, 
it needs to be this thing and this thing only, and I'm not taking anything else. And I'm really happy that's not just happening with race. It's happening with a lot of trans roles. Yeah. A lot of, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of queer... I, okay, personally, truthfully, I'm on the fence when it comes to, like, you know, gay lesbian roles or, like, bisexual roles and all those things. Uh, not saying it's a way of life, quote-unquote, but, like, I'm not trans, so I will never try to play a trans character. That's something so much deeper, you know? Mm-hmm. But you can be a trans gay person or a trans lesbian and all this thing. So I feel like when it comes to, like, playing, like, a gay role, yes, search people are actually queer, and put them in those roles. I'm a little less lenient. I'm a little more lenient on those. Truthfully, I'm just being real. I'm a little more lenient on those. But I'm happy that like trans and, and non-binary folk are getting their getting their flowers. Black people and people of color are getting their flowers. Disabled people. Uh, people actually, uh, if, if there's a character, and there's a lot of characters nowadays who are on the autistic spectrum, show that with those actors as well. Like right. they deserve to play those roles, so that is re- is really nice to see that that's happening, uh, and it's nice to see that it's being forced at this point too. Because, like you said, you gotta have to go a little extra and above. Be like, I'm having this only before it can all equal back out. Yeah. Um. So I'm here for it. Let's have, make it happen. Nice. <laughs> Well, you're also here, uh, as we mentioned, the 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 panel about bards uh, during D and D celebration. Uh, you know, it seems like your characters obviously, uh, you, you know, uh, started with the Tempest cleric and moved to the, a bard. But what what is it about that class that you think um, will be uh, discussed at that panel? So I got to talk about this for for hours. Um, again, I am a performer, and while I'm a performer based in music. I still understand that it's not just about music. While a lot of arts and a lot of things originated from Africa, and I'm going to stick with that, period, um, <laughs> it's about what people, what musicians and artists and storytellers, whether you're speaking word or you're, you're, you're doing art, like artistic art, all of these things existed to tell a story. And they told a story that would be continued throughout the generations. It's why we can listen to a nursery rhyme. We didn't make that nursery rhyme. Like, ring around a rosy, a pocket full of posies. That's about the Black Death. But we're telling a story about history, but it has been so ingrained um, within us musically or whatever. But that's what bards do. They make sure that the memory of those stories lives on, whether it's through dance or song or something. Because when you when you witness these things and experience these things, you will never forget those things. I remember the first concert I ever went to. It was a Frank, it was a Kirk Franklin concert. It was a gospel concert, but I I remember loving it. I do. I remember what he was doing on stage. I remember the choir behind him and all those things, but it made me feel something. I can tell that story now, you know, versus do I remember the the math question I answered in first grade, I surely don't. There was only one. One, the one yeah, math. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but bards have that special, that special place of being the support when it comes to like those, you know, those roles when it comes to games. But they, they make sure that the story lives on. Um, in whatever form that is. And that's what I love about them. It's like throughout time, like one of my favorite, oh, going to see, I'm, I'm nerding now, going into mythology, mm-hmm. there, I, I, there are two gods I've always just um, associated myself with. I'm not Christian any longer. I used to be because I grew up Christian. I'm more agnostic now. 
But Apollo, god of music and poetry and light and all those things. And Anansi the spider, mm. the West African trickster god of stories. Uh, because there was something about them, there's something about just what they embodied and what they existed for. It thrives who I am today. Um, I will always give it up to Orlando Jones playing Anansi in American Gods because he visualized and personified everything I ever thought about that spider. Uh, but he just exists to continue telling those tales that will inspire you for generations. And he owns those stories. So he has the ability to just pluck them out whenever it's necessary, whenever you need a reminder that, hey, this happened or this existed. And that's what I want to do as a bard. I want people to be able to come to me and listen to me and remember something. Whatever that something is, I don't necessarily know. But you have that, bards have that gift of unlocking that within people, unlocking that forgotten memory or that forgotten moment. And if that makes someone happy or if that inspires someone, then why not keep doing it? So I love it. I love being a bard. I love bards. I love what they do. And they do not just seduce dragons. (laughs) Not (sighs) just. But are you going to give people advice about playing a bard because Damn, I, I'm, I I'm think full of, it's i've never played a bard because i like too much pressure too hard <laughs> can't do it so the thing i, I am because but and, and i will preface and say i'm not the end all br i might be the critical bard but everybody can bard out critically if they want to um <laughs> it's there is a certain way of understanding them in a way but honestly at their core they're there to inspire the party I mean, the I, bardic inspiration is one of the first yes. features they get. But it's not just through that feature. They can uplift themselves or they can uplift the party. They can just, they can, they can control the battlefield, whether that battle is a, a conversation between two diplomats or a literal battle. Um, they can control and make sure it's shaped in a way that they want to benefit the story, um, to make sure that story is right in their heads. Uh, and I just, they, they can seem complicated, but at their core, they're really not. Just enjoy them. Enjoy everything about them. Mm. I just, I just, I love a bard. I, well, and I, I love that they are the performer, right? Like, you, you know, there's so many fantasy tropes out there with the warriors and the knights and the wizards and, you know, even the evil necromancers and things like that. And, mm-hmm. You know, there's not that many tropes out there around bards in fantasy literature, and I like that it's kind of a a D and D creation in a way uh, in in modern fantasy about you know it's, it's it's going into the mythology of you know of of the the gods that you mentioned. Um, but I love that it's something that I did before I played D and D, right? Like you know, I was a performer. I was you know I I I know the magic that can happen on stage uh, between uh, other performers and between the audience. And having that be um, dramatized around a table and have that power being like, oh, yeah, there is something. I mean, I don't know. You probably have experienced bardic inspiration in your life before you started even played D&D. Yeah. Yeah. It, you said it perfectly. It's like when you, whenever you've gone to a movie. Perfect example. Perfect example. What was your reaction when you saw everyone come out of those um, uh, teleportation of circles? In Endgame? In Endgame. Yeah. That was like... Oh, but that was something that inspired and made you go, oh, yes, this is right. It was a performance and it did something to you. That's what bards do. Yeah. And that might not be on that grand scale, 
but that's what they do. They they uplift and they just they thrive knowing that their party is thriving and they thrive knowing that the words and things that they do can have a positive or negative effect on someone. Mm-hmm. Um, not every story is good, truthfully. Um, but it's 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 nice to be able to have those characters like that. They like, like they're performers, but I do I will stress that not not every bard is naturally a performer too. Mm. It's just again about telling that story. I love seeing bards who speak or they they write they write poetry or just anything, honestly. I love um, playing a uh um I did this one for one campaign where I was the uh kind of like uh Jim Broadbent from Moulin Rouge. I was like mm. the neutral evil theater producer bard mm-hmm. uh which i loved because you're like oh yeah here's this you know showbiz uh trope that i can bring to uh, a mm-hmm. D uh world right so you're right they're not they're, there's a lot of just in any of your other class there's a lot of variety that you can uh bring to the table mm-hmm. and, and i love that you can i love that you can play other types of characters and different classes as well. I've actually played a monk who was a dancer. And people was like, you're in a night, why are you not playing a bar? Because oh. I want to play a monk. But yeah, they will pirouette, roundhouse kick you down. Yes. Damn. Real quick. Yeah. Uh, but it was fun. And it was like, I wasn't a bard, but I was a bard in a way. Um, Jackie I, Chan. <laughs> I love it. I, yeah, yeah. That's actually, I, I designed some classes, on, not some classes, I designed some subclasses on DMs Guild Um and I'm designing more, but one of them specifically, the barbarian. The entire premise of this subclass series that I'm doing is what is music and how does it thrive in every class? Mm. Because we know that bards naturally can harness this primordial power of whatever it is um, and, and use it to extravagant effects. But what happens when other classes can utilize this same power? And the one that I love is the barbarian because I said barbarians rage. If they harness this raw power and they rage, it's going to be concussive when they let it out. So they're literally, they're called the path to the belter because the music belters are the people who use their chest voice. And they're just like, ah, it gets loud without even trying. And I said, it'd be really cool when they rage, they literally just unleash this concussive sound of, of just raw power. And anyone within the 10 feet, um, if they um, fail to save, they're knocked prone instantly yeah. wow. um and they also they also get a bonus action attack that is their voice it's like a sonic scream because they're just like they're there so why not it's just oh i just oh That's i cool. love i love being able to mix up these classes and stuff but again it all comes back to just telling that story and and being a performer or being a bard it's just i'm excited and we have a bunch of good panelists who will all have some really yes. good uh, advice we have christina ariel who's just amazing i'm um, gonna be I playing a bard on D- dimension 20 uh we have lauren urban from D beyond who's a fantastic oboist kelly butler the opera geek no words even need to be added to that because that's just a powerhouse within itself and eugenio vargas um who is a music director um dm jazzy hands and i just it's going to be fun to talk about all these things with these folks. Mm. Nice. That is a great panel. Dude, I, and I think all we're keeping... previous Dragon Talk. I was just going to say, we're keeping the theme of, of adding you, and now yeah. every single person on that panel is a former uh, former guest. Nice. I didn't know that. That's really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Great people uh, and folks who are as passionate about adding music into Dungeons & Dragons and storytelling uh, as as you are. And so I think that's, that's going to be a lot of fun. Something to tune into. 
Um, what's what's the timing on that? Just so people can can hear it. Uh, three Saturday, p.m. Yeah, Saturday, uh, September nineteenth at three p.m. Pacific. Awesome. Tune in for that. Uh, all right. Well, I think we've covered so many yeah. topics, <laughs> lots of ground. Uh, we are excited uh, about uh, you know D and D celebration as well as continuing the conversation and how to. Uh, you know, improve lifting up voices, uh, you know, not only in the black community, but, you know, you mentioned disabled uh, uh, folks in the TRPG community, Um, you know, uh, native voices, you know, Kelly Lynn D'Angelo, I think has been very extremely uh, passionate about that. Uh, And, you know, we at, uh, you know, D&D are just here to shine that light on everybody that is a part of this community. And that's what D&D Celebration is going to be about. And change is coming. It's like, again, it goes to time. It takes time. People need to understand that. It does not happen in a day. It doesn't happen in a month. It doesn't happen in a year. Um, it takes time. And I'm willing to understand that and do what I can in that time to better everything. Yeah. And we hopefully everybody it. listening will will push towards that too. Cause it doesn't stop. It's not ever it's it never a like uh, oh, you know, I, I rolled the die. Uh <laughs> I did the damage. Everything's done now. And like, nope, the, the combat and the campaign continues. Yep, it surely does. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much for, for joining, Omega. That was awesome. Thank you. This was you're great. Wonderful. I'm really happy. Yes, thank uh, you. If people want to just get to know more about you and what you're doing, uh, what's the best kind of locale for that on the web? Twitter, twitter.com slash critical bard. Um, I'm there way too much, honestly. <laughs> uh, I also am on Twitch, twitch.tv slash critical bard. I'm a partner streamer over there. Uh, we do a lot of hot messery and eat honey buns. Mm. So, um, hot that's- messery and honey buns? I feel like <laughs> that needs to be a name of something. <laughs> I'll make it something. I don't know. Uh, but no, yeah, those are the main two places I am. Um, I mean, you can find me anywhere if you put in Critical Bard somewhere. But yeah. That's awesome. Man, that sounds like an After Dark podcast that we're going to all three of us start up soon. <laughs> hot messery yes, and honey please. buns. Please. Pass me the hot messery. <laughs> you got it. Who gets to be honey buns? I, I think that's uh, that's me. What an amazing interview. I love talking to Omega Jones. I am inspired. Yeah, yeah. And he said a lot of great things about how to, uh, you know, invite black people and people of color and uh, get them at the table, uh, you know, both literally and metaphorically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. I like it. We can maybe start to see some change in our little pocket of the world. There's some winds of change uh, happening. I'm not just talking about that song from the... Early nineties. Mm-hmm. Good. What was, what was that song? Uh, there was a whistling involved. Oh, is this Queens, right? No, it's a band like that. I think it was called the Scorpions. Oh, the Scorpions. That's right. Right. I always that's, get Queens, and the Scorpions mixed up. That's in your yes. hair metal milieu. Good one with the the whistling. Yeah, right. That's the that's the most important part of it. You know, oddly, yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's it. We're going to start a whistle band now, not just a... Uh, I can a be singing. a bard. <laughs> oh, my God. Whistle. Now, hopefully, you're inspired to create a bard after you watch uh, the bard panel at D&D Celebration. I, and it'll I be a might, whistle bard. Because those panelists are like all my favorite people. They are a lot of my favorites If they well. say being a bard is cool, then I guess it is. <laughs> 
<laughs> Good stuff. Uh, so I, we talked about so many fun D&D things that are happening, um, but you should go definitely to DungeonsAndDragons.com uh, and take a gander because there is a schedule up for D&D Celebration. You can sign up for games happening on September 18th, 19th, and 20th, including the largest D&D epic ever assembled oh online. Which includes uh, me. Which includes you and me. I gotta and sign you up. Too. I thought we were gonna sign up together. Now I'm. Well, I think I, we have a. I think we have a whole table. Nice. So I think. Um, I thought of something else though. What? If you should sign up for the D and D newsletter, also <gasps> yes. because you will get some materials so that you can play along with everybody online at home. That's right. So yeah. if you can't get, you know, your party together. At the times that we have games available, or like that's just not your jam, don't worry about it. But you have a and d group and you want to play, sign up for that newsletter, and you are going to get all the materials you need to play. Or most Downloaded into your boxes to yes, play. To It'll play. So do that. Do that. Go to DungeonsAndDragons.com and sign up for that. And if you're just excited about finding out more about Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, there is a new issue of Dragon Plus available with tons of interviews all about that and more. So get it on your phone. Uh, and if you want to access that content on dragonmag.com, you know, it's right there. It's at your fingertips. Wherever you need it. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Um, if you want to follow me, I am at Greg Tito uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Greg underscore Tito. I've posted some pictures from my camping trip uh, recently and I uh, hope to post more soon. Um, Shelly, I've not seen you post on Twitter anything in the uh, TRPG thirst trap hashtag <laughs> yet. No, but I have, I have enjoyed following that. But no, you will not see that. Not even just like a picture of a glass of water or anything as a joke? Here you go. <laughs> there it is. I'm snapping that shot. We all know that's not water. That's, that's uh, another clear liquid. It is my day off. It is your day off. You can do whatever <laughs> you need. I'll do whatever I want. Excellent. It is water. Um, but if you were to post a picture on Twitter, where, where would you post it? At Shelly Moo on Twitter or Instagram. Oh, that's so, where you're you know, at. Whatever. We will find out. Find me. All of that and more. Uh, thank you to everyone who uh, puts Dragon Talk together, including Ryan, Marth, and Lisa Carr from Siren Sound. Thank you, Yay. guys. Um, thanks to uh, everyone on the wizard side, Trick Jarrett, Pelham Green, Sean Mayofsky, uh, for helping out with video. Um, and you should, of course, spread the word about Di- Dragon Talk as much as you can uh, by, you know, tweeting out your favorite episode, doing a review, all like of the above. Get some inspiration for every five-star review you post. That's right. We will, we will sing to you. <laughs> like, we're, like, we'll do a cameo. We'll do, like, our own cameo. If, if you give a five-star review, Shelly oh my will God. say beep or boop. Yeah, whatever you want. Beep, boop. Oh, I just did it. And I nobody did it. Even, that was a freebie. All right. Well, you'll say uh, Morden Canaan. Okay. I'm going to hold off on that. All right. In practice, how to say it. It's, it takes some practice. <laughs> it's true. 
Uh, Drunk egg. Speaking of practice, we are trying to figure out what is going on with Drunky Two Shoes and her quest to find her litter mate, Daryl. If you haven't been following along the last few little shout-outs here, there is a ship that has recently departed for Waterdeep with a rumor that a tabaxi was on board. Oh, I can't wait. What are you going to do? Okay. Drunky two-shoe. Uh, are there other boats here in this port? There are a few smaller fishing vessels. Uh, you know, one mast, single mast, um, about you know, 20, 30 feet. Looks like they are pulling in. Uh, nets and um, you know, getting ready to offload their harvest for the day. Okay, so Drunky's gonna go approach one of those, whoever looks the friendliest. Okay, uh, you see uh, a sailor, uh, he is bare chested, uh, very hairy chest, uh, big, big bushy beard, blue eyes, uh, and uh, almost a, a blondish, red, strawberry blondish hair. Uh, and he is, uh, you know, picking up a big barrel of fish and trying to put it on the, um, on mm. the dock for the Steve doors to take. Drunky tries to not show how hungry she is looking at all that delicious fish. Um, hello, sir. Is this your boat? Uh, aye, this is me boat. Do you, can you take me to Waterdeep? Waterdeep? That's mm-hmm. very far. I'll pay you. How much? Mm. Drunky rattles some coins. You know how drunk he is with math. Not that good. Drunky pulls out three gold pieces. Is that good? Oh. <laughs> three gold pieces. Waterdeep is... Uh, I don't know why he's rushing all of a sudden. Uh, Waterdeep is three days. Uh, you're asking me to give up... Uh... Okay. How about... Can you take me... Fast and follow a ship that recently left this port. I just have to get to that ship. And you can just pull up alongside, and because I'm a very graceful and agile cat, I will jump off your boat onto that boat. What ship? Did I ever get the name of the ship? It's called the Hawks Down. The Hawks Down? The Hawks Down ship. Yes. I make me a persuasion roll. Do I have a bonus? <laughs> I don't have my character. You're, you're, char- you're, you're charismatic. I don't know. I'll give you three plus three. Yeah, sure. Twelve. I, I, you're, I, you ask the impossible. I Six cannot. Six gold pieces? Six. That's how much I'm going to sell this barrel for. You're asking me to for Twelve go- gold pieces. He turns and, uh, you know, picks up another barrel of fish and he puts it down. Is, anyone, is anyone on his boat? Uh, yeah, there's a couple other uh uh, fishermen. Are any of these boats unattended? <laughs> yes, there is one small dinghy that looks like it's uh, tied up. A dinghy? It's got, it's got rows. It's got oars in it, but there's nobody oh, on it right now. I'm not getting in a dinghy. That's going to take me forever. All right. Well, you've got until next week to come up with another plan. I really have to figure out how much things cost. <laughs> <laughs> Trunky should be a lot further in her adventure. If she only had think a, about, I mean, it's not a like a one to one, but think about a gold piece like a dollar, right? Like, so that we, is not true. I offered someone 12 bucks to take me to Waterdeep. Well, if you're a hundred miles away, that's not worthwhile, right? That's what I mean. Like, that's nothing. I thought gold pieces were like a hundred. Well, that's what I'm saying. You can think about it like that, okay? It, and again, it's not like a one to one, but you know, you can kind of 
imagine it. You're asking him to give up, uh, you know, his livelihood for two days too. So it's also that cost. Fine. We'll pick it up next week with lots of fart sounds. <laughs>